Joel. And I'm Alicia. This is Enter the Rabbit Hole. Each week we dive into and dissect the weird, the momentous, and the downright interesting. And today we're covering Good Samaritans. Yes, uh, should we start off with an apology up top? Yeah, so last week uh, we we just weren't there. We just didn't show up. And mm. um, not to get too uh, topical, but uh, it is, of course, uh, the COVID, COVID situation here in Taiwan. Yes, we've tried to not mention too much of what's going on in real time, just so that we can keep these episodes nice and fresh and non-time specific. Sealed for freshness. Mm-hmm. But for those who don't know, Taiwan, even though they were doing a pretty good job of handling the coronavirus situation up until now, kind of dropped the ball uh, a few weeks ago. And as we are ESL teachers, we are now experiencing the exact same thing that teachers around the world have been for the past year and a bit. Which is the glorious move to online classes. Mm-hmm. Not only the glorious move to online classes, but the, uh, the here you go, nature of being handed... A, a brand new way of teaching and, and basically zero resources to do it. So we've been a little bit busy. We apologize, guys. Uh, we will endeavor to keep bringing you episodes every week uh, as long as we can. And now let's completely forget about all of that. Yep. Back and, on with it. And move on to uh, Good Samaritans. Do you, think, do you think you'd be a Good Samaritan? I mean, I, I have been in the past. And, I, you know, I think we'll probably go into these stories a little bit later in the episode. I do, however, think that it's kind of it's kind of like when you're in an emergency situation and your fight or flight kicks mm, in. You never know how you're going to react until it happens. Exactly. And the way that you react in one instance might be completely different from the way that you react in another instance in ways that are very difficult for you to put your finger on. See, I've always found um, that if it is non-life-threatening, I will uh, fluster. But if it is life-threatening... Uh, then I act very cool in a way that I didn't expect. Like, for example, if I'm about to get in, like, a, in a car crash, uh, I've hydroplaned on the freeway at, like, 75 miles an hour yeah. and gone sideways on the freeway and uh, just kind of felt fine about it. Didn't, didn't panic in the situation at all. But, you know, a squirrel runs out in front of my car. Oh, my God, a squirrel. No! Look at his nuts. <laughs> And the squirrel's just carrying a big handful of nuts and just yeah. looks up and goes, Ooh! and also his balls. <laughs> He's also carrying his testicles, yeah. Um, before we get into too much about Good Samaritan uh, laws and too much more of our nutty, crass humor, uh, a quick call to action, guys. If you're listening, go ahead and follow the show. Leave us a review, good, bad, or ugly. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you have any ideas for future episodes, because we do have to hit that uh, self-imposed alphabetical thing we've got going on, yep. uh, please share them with us. Uh, you can find us at etrhthepod at gmail.com or on at etrhthepod on social media. Very good. Very good. Very good, Very good. Jolly good old bean. Um, so today we're not only talking about the concept of Good Samaritans, but Good Samaritan laws and, and how they kind of get mishmashed in with duty uh, duty to act or duty to respond and also, also the, the bystander. Also the bystander effect. Yeah, which we're going to try really hard not to call the bystander effect. 
Sure. Because I, I can't. It makes it sound like there's a standard measurement for Bi's. human activity, <laughs> for, for bi people, yeah. Uh, yeah, see, he's uh, 500 million on the bystander effect scale. No, it's the bystander effect, but it's just really hard to say. Okay, so um, let's talk about, let's start all of our episodes as we do with a message from Jesus. Yes. Um, I wanted to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan, because that is, of course, where the idea of a Good Samaritan law comes from. So I'm going to read you a quote from the Bible. Um, As, so this is just the way that we start every episode for, for our brand new listeners. Yes, we'll the do, Jew reads the Bible. Yeah, we'll do a quick prayer circle and then we'll, we'll get on with a stellar show. Okay, well guys, uh, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus uses the example of the Jew and the, and the Samaritan who would not ordinarily have been friendly towards each other. However, out of all of those who could have helped the Jew, only the Samaritan did. Jesus tells of a man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and was attacked by robbers on the way. He was badly beaten and left for dead. The first person to pass the injured man was a priest, or in some cases a rabbi, who crossed the road and continued walking. This is my standard opportunity for a priest joke. So the priest saw him. He was like, oh, is that a little boy? Maybe I could. And then he was like, oh, no, he's over the age of 12. I'm not going to bother. And that part is in the Bible, folks. Mm -hmm. uh, the second person to pass the injured man was a, a Levite, a mm. priest's assistant or a rabbi's assistant. And the inventor of the genes. Mm. <laughs> he also crossed the road and continued walking without helping the man. The third person to come by was a Samaritan, a person from Samaria. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. When the Samaritan saw the man, he took pity on him. He bandaged him and cleaned his wounds. He then put him on the back of his donkey and took him to an innkeeper, whom he paid to look after him. We've talked about this before. When I was a kid in primary school, I think this is something they still do in many primary schools in the UK, although it wasn't a faith-based school. Right throughout my education, every Friday we would have like an assembly and there'd be like kind of general meeting notes or whatever, like don't graffiti the school, please. Exams coming up next week. And then sometimes we would have the minister come in and kind of not do like a full church service or anything like that, but he would give us like a, some kind of moral tale that could help us in our everyday lives and I guess when I was in primary school, we'd also do hymns. We didn't really do that in secondary school, but... This is so British. Yeah. I don't... I guess if... Please, if we've got any, uh, listeners from the UK, please uh, message us and let me know, did you also have the same experience at, at school? But yeah, so we would do that every Friday and just kind of take it for granted. And I didn't know until like relatively late in my education that a Samaritan isn't just somebody who is like a really sound guy who goes around helping strangers out. A Samaritan is somebody from Samaria. Yeah. So I just assumed that like all Samaritans were good Samaritans, right? Well, it's like that uh, Mitchell and Webb sketch where um, Jesus is like, and I'm saying he was a good Samaritan. And then everybody is like, hey, hey, some of my best friends are Samarians. <laughs> I just thought they were all dicks. <laughs> Are you saying that Jesus was some kind of, like, stand-up comic who was, like... Uh, no, uh, that he was just a, a racist. I see. <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, the parable ends with Jesus giving a commandment to go out and do the same as the Samaritan had done. The teaching of loving one's enemies is also reflected in Matthew's gospel. So this whole thing is not, like, I haven't ripped this from, like, King James Bible. This is from uh, the BBC GCSE Religious Studies website. And when you're saying you haven't ripped it from the King James Bible, you mean because... You should rip up books? Well, because, so, I guess, like, various different... Translations of the Bible have changed over time. Yeah, and also, like, uh, I want to be clear where I'm getting my sources. I'm not taking these directly from a religious text. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's from, like, a study of religious texts. Okay, cool. So, keeping Jesus in mind, always. Always. uh, What is a good Samaritan? Someone who goes out of their way to help someone in distress without desire for compensation. And legally speaking, that last part is really important. Mm-hmm. So if I saw you, I don't know, in a car crash and there's like smoke billowing all over the place and you can't get your seatbelt off, I shouldn't rush up to you and be like, hey, do you need some help? You got you got $50? I'll help you for $50. I can't, I can't reach my wallet. My arms are pinned. <laughs> I can't feel my legs. Ah, uh, well, buddy, I, you know... Can't help you today, I'm afraid. You Sounds know like it sucks for you. Yeah, I'm a businessman. You know what it's like. Okay, all right. Good luck, buddy. So in legal terms, a good Samaritan is anyone who renders aid in an emergency to an injured or ill person. Generally, if the victim is unconscious or unresponsive, a good Samaritan can help them on the grounds of implied consent. If the person is conscious and can reasonably respond, a would-be rescuer should ask permission first. Just to be clear, young men in the audience especially, the same rules do not apply for dating women. Or for, uh, for women as well. For, just for everybody. For, for anybody, if they are unconscious, that does not mean implied consent. There's no such thing as implied consent, just ask. Mm-hmm. And even if it's like they fell asleep with their shoes on, again, not implied consent. Unless you're going to draw a cock in their forehead, in which case... Don't even hesitate. Grab that Sharpie. Whoa, Sharpie? <laughs> Job interview in the morning? Just go for it, buddy. Just go for it. They still I, got them shoes on. I was going to go mustache. I think that's more classic. Mm. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Good Samaritan laws and a lot of legalese. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Our specialty. Do we need to preface this up top by being like, we're not lawyers. Yeah, this is all We're not just, solicitors. <laughs> this is just research that we've done. Uh, I wouldn't follow our advice. We have no idea about anything. Yeah, if we you don't get even into live in the states or the UK, so if you get into a real jam and like the police are interrogating you as we speak, don't don't mention our names. We don't want a part of that. You are. Thank you so much for listening. And again, please leave a review and a like. But you you are on your own. Although, just some advice, personal advice. Call a lawyer, because, you know, all those cop shows make you look like you're guilty for getting a lawyer involved. No. Call call a lawyer. We get a lead, I put a squeeze on him, and he lawyered up. Must be guilty as hell. He's a real piece of shit. No, he's just afraid, because you and your friend, like, put him in a room, and you start slamming the table, and you're like, where is she? Just ask for a lawyer. It's, you know, you, you are innocent until proven guilty. Anyway, we are not lawyers. With that in mind... Let's talk about legal stuff. Mm. 
Some countries have laws designed to protect someone rendering aid to a victim. This person may not have medical training or their contribution could actually be detrimental and or fatal to the victim. According to Show's Injury Law Group California, here are some examples of possible Good Samaritan Acts. Uh, so seeing a car crash into a tree while walking home from work and helping the injured driver out of a car. Providing light quote medical care to a person after watching him fall off a stadium seat at a softball game. I don't know why Just that... laughing at somebody else's pain, perceived pain. How exciting is this softball game that they're like, oh my god, whoa! Uh, and then you're like, okay, let's get this guy some help. Not too much help, though. Um... I'm just going to give you some light help, sir. You're unconscious, so I'm, in, I'm you know, you're, uh, it's implied I'm going to help you. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, or dragging a drowning swimmer out of a lake and performing CPR. Yeah, so those are some examples of, a, like, what a good Samaritan law could cover. Of course, Samaritan laws vary country by country, county by county, state by state, like, depending on where you are. I've got to come back to it. This uh, shows injury uh, law group in California. They're thinking of some, it's like, okay, guys, let's, what are some common examples? What are some things that could happen? Like somebody drowning in a lake, sure, happens all the time. Car crashed into a tree, could happen, happened to my friend. Uh, somebody falling out of a stadium at a softball game. Yeah, of course. Like So, okay, I think the reason why they've gone for a softball game as opposed to, like, a baseball game is because, like, at a baseball game, you have people who are designed for, like, who are there to give medical aid. Okay. So, whereas a softball game, you probably wouldn't have someone there. Also, I read some interesting cases where, depending on who you are, the Good Samaritan Act doesn't cover you. So, for example... If you are the coach of, like, a baseball team or a softball team and one of your players is injured, you have to help them. That's in part of, like, your contract as a coach. And sure. therefore, you are not covered by the Good Samaritan Law because you're supposed to, like, you are being paid to provide care for those players. Yeah, so the implication is that your medical expertise or your care abilities are sufficient that you would be able to look after not only, presumably, not only the players, and does that just cover the players on the team or spectators as well? I'm not sure. I think it it's one of those things where, like, every single one of these laws you could just argue in court and be like, well, should he be expected to help, like, uh, a watcher, like, like, who falls, like, and I'm sure this is something that we're going to cover later as well, but that that's the whole nature of law, right? Is there's a list of rules and trying to look for the gaps in between those rules or, or different ways those rules could be interpreted. So, okay, I mean, it sounds like a little bit of a, a gray area. Um, these laws are in place to encourage would-be helpers who may otherwise pass by out of fear of lawsuit or making a mistake. So the moments before an EMT or healthcare professionals arrive are some of the most crucial in terms of life-saving measures. Contrary to what you might see on TV, CPR is usually done in order to keep someone alive and with blood flowing to the brain to prevent brain damage and lungs until EMTs can arrive. People do not usually wake up and often CPR, even when done correctly, is not enough. 
but it's easy to see how someone might blame a helper or would-be helper might blame themselves over improper CPR. I think your mum has said something about administering CPR as well, right? So CPR, when you give CPR correctly, you are supposed to be breaking things. Like, you're supposed to give it with Just enough like... force, your sternum has to hit the heart. Uh-huh. So ribs are going to be bruised or broken. If you're doing it lightly, you're not doing it right. By the way, my mother is, uh, hi mom, an ER, hi, Wendy. <laughs> has been an ER nurse for over 30 years, so she knows what she's talking about. When you said you're supposed to be breaking things, I just imagined somebody being like, okay, all right, what do we Sticks? do here? Um... Uh, oh, <laughs> there's a window. Okay, here we go. Uh, right. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a it, it's a it's a rough procedure to administer. Sure. It's a it's a life saving procedure wherein the person is already dead. Their heart is not beating. Yeah. And that's why the Good Samaritan Act is supposed to cover you, because this person is dead. Right. Like, what it the only thing you can do is revive them. Otherwise, they're going to stay dead. So the door is wide open there potentially to to injure the other person in the course of trying to save their life. Okay, so back to Good Samaritan laws. These laws are not uniform and do not protect equally. Sometimes they only protect off-duty medical professionals, but often they protect any bystander who tries to render aid, provided the aid is not grossly negligent or willfully malicious. And that terminology is really important. It is. So ordinary negligence is allowed. (laughs) <laughs> that's how i like to, to start every day as soon as i leave the house i'm like ordinary negligence is a lie let's go shopping but gross negligence is a no 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 uh so we'll we'll define those terms a little bit later on um well, yeah so I'm, we'll give you an example just now first. yeah so the good samaritan doctrine is used as a defense by persons who act to prevent or contain property damage, as well as somebody who is helping, you know, an injured person. Assume that a passerby notices a fire has just started outside a cabin in the wilderness. If the passerby breaks into the cabin to look for a fire extinguisher, the passerby will not be liable for the damage resulting from the forced entry, so they they won't get in trouble for breaking the door or the window. However, if the passerby runs down the cabin with a bulldozer to extinguish the fire, this will probably be considered grossly negligent or reckless, and the Good Samaritan Doctrine will not provide protection from a civil suit or for damages to the cabin. I'm just imagining the scenario where it's this person has a cabin and it's on fire and they've just got a bulldozer parked outside and this bystander runs up. And he's just, like, doing that quick take between the bulldozer and the cabin. What to do? What to do? There's, like, a fire extinguisher next to him, and he's like, bulldozer, bulldozer. Come on, Dale, think fast. This is why your wife left, because you can't make decisions. Bulldozer it is. Um, by the way, that is a quote, I believe, from the from lawjrank.org. Mm-hmm. Just... Just attributing quotes. As always, we are going to leave all of our sources in the show notes, so please follow those up to so that you know that we didn't just Wikipedia this one. We never do, and it's so much work. <laughs> we want to so badly. This could just be the Wikipedia hour, where we just read things off of Wikipedia, but uh, no, no, we don't do that. So... Another example, uh, say you witness an individual in cardiac arrest in a restaurant. 
you perform CPR to the best of your ability, alternating compressions and rescue breathing at a ratio of 15 compressions to 2 breaths. But the patient does not survive. Emergency medical services personnel arrive and note that new recommendations are to perform this resuscitation at a ratio of 30 to 2. That's twice as, half as much. Twice as many twice... compressions to breaths. Exactly, and that's not what you did. So, however, you have not had any reason to take new basic life support training. And so because you acted to the best of your professional abilities, you could expect to be protected by the Good Samaritan law in your state. On the other hand, if you were performing CPR but suddenly stopped because you recognized the individual as a known drug dealer in your town, that would be considered willful and wanton negligence, and you would not be protected by a Good Samaritan law. So this is by the American Academy of Family Physicians, and it's directed at a, a physician or a doctor telling them what they are protected. If they are off duty and you see someone uh, collapse in a restaurant, what are you liable for? Presumably a good way to head that up would be, uh, hey, uh, remember your Hippocratic Oath? First do no harm. I know this is like, little Reggie Menendez and he's been dealing wow, coke to it's just a name he's actually from Wisconsin he's been dealing to coke to all the kids on the south side and you know but you still gotta like give him CPR and then do something to make it look like an accident obviously yeah play it smart doctor play it smart there are witnesses um through all of these things basically Ordinary negligence would be this thing that we just described. Like, the, the doctor hasn't had any reason to update his CPR knowledge and therefore is giving the wrong number of compressions. But that could still be life-saving, right? The, the number of uh, CPR compressions, there are different studies about it. I'll get into it later. But it could, uh, it could be life-saving. Whereas just stopping when you've already started is uh, grossly negligent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you got got to keep going until the medical services arrive to relieve you of the situation, essentially. Let's be honest, CPR is hard. I've taken two CPR courses, one for babies, by the way. When I was like 16, I decided Not that... Not when you were a baby. Yeah, no, I was a baby. Um, I'm a prodigy. Uh, when I was 16, I decided that if I was going to be like a babysitter or a nurse, I never do anything in half measures. So I was like, I'm going to take a CPR course for babies <laughs> it's not exhausting at all and um yeah it's rough it's rough to like perform cpr on a little baby mannequin i i could imagine so instead of putting like your whole fists over there you have there... to do your fingers like it's like two fingers on well it's like four fingers on like the chest <laughs> at least it was at the time that i took cpr training which was like 15 years ago Again, I'm just imagining that somebody somebody kind of like half remembering that course <laughs> and being like, okay, it's it's two fingers, but uh, I think it's on the soft spot in the top of the head, right? <laughs> that's how you that's, get a baby to breathe? That's grossly negligent. Uh, yeah, don't, don't, don't ever do that. Okay, so what is protected and who is protected? Well, it entirely depends on where you live. So mm -hmm. you need to check your area's laws. But here are some examples. You are a firefighter. You're off duty, but you rush in to save an on-duty firefighter from drowning in water. While being dragged out of the water, the other firefighter alleges that you injured him. 
Are you protected? So you're off duty and you go and try and save an on-duty firefighter. First question, why is he in the water? Fire happens away from water. Everybody knows that. In this specific instance, the, the valve of the truck broke and started flooding the area with water. So he got trapped in the water that was gushing out from the truck. Is this some kind of like trap out of Tomb Raider or something? That sounds like it flooded incredibly quickly. He's not like drowning on the pavement. I think he's stuck like in the like gush of water coming out. So he's not literally just rolling around on on the pavement like a like a fish out of a fishing bowl. He's like. not like an NPC character in a video game who's like in two inches of water or like uh, men in tights. Robin Hood, yeah, Man in Tights. Where uh, the guy like falls off the bridge and he's like, help me, help me, I'm drowning, I'm drowning. And he's like in like a stream. Okay. So uh, he he is stuck. The implication here is not just all firefighters can't swim. Yeah, that's okay. the implication. Um, in Held versus City of Rocky River, an Ohio appellate court determined that the off-duty firefighter became on duty when he entered the scene. And thus was rendering services, expecting compensation. So basically they said, well, he came onto the scene and therefore started working and was expecting to be paid because of that. The court eventually found that emergency care rendered by police or firefighters to be gratuitous and is therefore protected under the Good Samaritan statute. So the implication here was that he was going to do that thing that you would do if you were working in a coffee shop and you were having a coffee and and they suddenly got a lunchtime rush and you're like, okay, I'll step behind the till, but you're going to pay me for this, right? Like, okay, I'll save you for driving, but <laughs> but I've got to put it on my timesheet. Let me clock in real quick. <laughs> you know what the union says about this? Uh, I got to be clocked in, Johnny. <laughs> okay, here's another example. You and your friend are driving home in separate cars. It's about 1.30 in the morning. Ahead of you, your friend gets into a car crash. You rush to pull over. The car is wrecked, and you think you see smoke and liquid coming from the mangled metal. You grab your friend and pull her to safety. The car does not burst into flames. Later, you find out that your friend had a spinal injury. By moving her, you have caused paralysis. Your friend is now a paraplegic. Way to deliver that news. (laughs) You have now wrecked someone's life. You piece of shit. Feel good about yourself. Okay, so this is a version of the real-life case uh, in 2007, Van Horn versus Watson. A passenger of the second car, fearing that the, the, the first car was about to catch fire, pulled the plaintiff out of the car. The plaintiff later brought a personal injury suit against his passenger, claiming she had only sustained an injury to her vertebrae during the act accident, but sustained permanent damage to her spinal cord, rendering her as a paraplegic after she was dragged from the car. Yeah, and it's quite a famous case. I think we were talking about this before the recording um, happened in California, I believe, and the two people in question, two women in question, were, I think, makeup artists who had worked together, and the the would-be rescuer mistook uh, was it wiper fluid or or maybe the the oil coming from the car for uh petrol or gasoline yeah. that had being being ignited? She thought that she saw smoke and she thought that the car was about to catch fire, and so she did what she thought was right, which was to drag her friend from safety. If her friend hadn't had a spinal injury, you know everything probably would have been fine. But the fact that she already had like a compromised vertebra. 
She could have healed from that, but the fact that her friend dragged her from the car expounded the injury, and therefore she became paraplegic. At least that's what she's arguing. Mm-hmm. We're not sure if that's the truth, that the dragging motion actually caused the paralysis. Yeah. It could be that she would have been paralyzed either way. And that's where we kind of get into more interpretations of the Good Samaritan Law. Mm-hmm. The car did not catch fire, and the passenger's direct actions possibly caused lasting harm to the victim. At first, the defendant was granted protection under Good Samaritan laws. Then, the decision was reversed by another court. Finally, the California Supreme Court later ruled that the defendant was protected. So it's not always so cut and dry. It's, uh, it's you have to go through different courts, right? There's always going to be like, what's it called when you get called back to court? Um, bad luck? <laughs> Uh, so the uh, the the appeal, yeah, there'll always be an appeal, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and, and this is so. And it depends on the judge. It depends on you know who who's who's your lawyer, who's her lawyer. Yeah, it it's also this um, American legal precedent. Uh, oh, oh, well, <laughs> the American notion of precedent. So if there are cases similar to yours that have come up previously, that can change the entire legal climate that your case is then entering. I, I think it's also very chancy with auto accidents isn't the... So you're not meant to move someone at the scene of an accident. You could put somebody into the recovery position, which I want to kind of... You can't see me do it, but it's kind of like one leg is bent up like you you're be, you need to roll them onto their sides sure their, what left side i think it is yeah don't try and put somebody in the recovery position based on my description you will injure them look it up online like a normal person but, but will's doing a kind of like paint me like one of your french ladies sort of position that's just how i relax that's my my go-to position uh so you can put somebody in the recovery position but you should not be trying to jostle them or move them around and yet if your car breaks down at the side of the road, you're not meant to hang out in your car because another car could come along and rear-end you really badly. And 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 now you've got some real problems. Also, uh, unrelated, I guess slightly related, if you have been drinking and you decide to sleep it off in your car rather than driving, doing, doing the smart thing, sleep in the passenger seat with the keys out of the ignition. Otherwise, even though you didn't drive... Uh, you could still be found liable for drinking and driving. Oh, yeah, that's some good advice. (laughs) Maybe we should be lawyers. (laughs) Oh my god, did we just find a new career path? Podcast over. We need to jump on this immediately. Thank you. Um, Okay, so a final example. You and your buddy love some opioids. Yeah, we do. Oh yeah, codeine, morphine, fentanyl. Mm, mm -mm. We are part of the ongoing opioid crisis and, and it's... Super swell. So you're hanging out when you notice, uh-oh, he's not responding to the hilarious joke you just made. And we've had like this whole thing where I'm like, hey, Steve, would you like to come to my house this afternoon and enjoy taking some opioids? Oh, John, would I? Yes. As a young teen, I love opioids. <laughs> I put them in my mouth and they make me feel real good. They do something. Okay, so uh, he has shallow breathing, pinpoint pupils, gurgling sounds, all symptoms of an opioid overdose. You call emergency services, and to your surprise, you're not arrested. 
So because of the scale of the opioid epidemic, over 40 states in the U.S. have enacted laws to grant some degree of immunity, not being charged with a drug-related offense or having a reduced sentence, in order to encourage people to call for help in suspected overdose cases. Mm -hmm. So this is a step forward. I mean, I think, personally, I think the real uh, issue here is decriminalizing drugs so mm -hmm. that people actually get the help that they need rather than keep overdosing and therefore calling EMS. Or having safe spaces available for uh, drug users so that they they can essentially be monitored or help is on hand and, and they're not putting themselves in unsafe or vulnerable positions. There's a lot of ways forward. You could also not, you know, I don't know, like mass produce and mass prescribe uh, highly addictive substances that have been labeled as non-addictive substances. Yeah, just a thought. Yeah, just a minor thing. But this is a, a good step forward in terms of, like, good Samaritan laws and, and helping people who need help, right? The point here is that you think that you're going to be arrested and therefore you leave your buddy to die because you don't want to spend the rest of your life in jail. 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 Nobody <laughs> wants to go to jail. It's the jail in a drain. It's real damp and it just smells moldy all the time and people are always like throwing things on you. Uh, so therefore it's encouraging people to, to call for help when an overdose happens. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Which, so again, if you are in that position, I mean... You know, the the life of your friend or acquaintance should come first and you should hope that you're not gonna be prosecuted. But again, we're not we're not lawyers. I mean, I think the situation would still be the same in the UK. You know, you wouldn't then be brought up in drug charges. However, may, depending on where you're listening, the drug laws could be very different and, and much more draconian. Mm hmm I mean we we live in Taiwan where it is incredibly draconian, you know, in term in Asia it, in itself has very hard stance on drugs. Not that we do drugs here. Yeah. But um, oh, like like when I went traveling around Southeast Asia a few years back uh, prior to arriving in, in Bali, one of the things that I'd read about repeatedly is that in Indonesia, there are so many foreigners who are doing life sentences for really, really minor possession charges. And yet, when I was walking around Bali, there were just so many dudes at the side of the road who would just like, no, you don't even make eye contact with them or anything. You're just like going about your day and they're like, you want to buy some mushrooms? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. Thank you. I remember when I was in Amsterdam years ago, there was just like, you know, like those roadside signs, the big like ones with like scrolling orange text. They uh -huh. were everywhere throughout the city. They're like, do not take... This specific kind of heroin, white dragon heroin, oh, it will kill you. <laughs> not like crocodile, the stuff that makes you like uh, your arteries just like turn into concrete and your skin fall off. It wasn't called that, no. Oh, okay. it was different. It was specifically like I remember it being like white dragon heroin. Okay. Also, don't buy crocodile because that's not you're not going to have a great afternoon. Um, anyway, we're going to go and, I guess, swap some more scary drug stories. And, and in the interim, should we have a break? Yeah, let's do that. All right. See you soon.
and welcome back. Hello. If you did some drugs during the break, I hope you did it safely with a, an accountable friend, an, an accountability buddy, if you will. Uh, so, Alicia, before the break, we were talking about some uh, different scenarios where Good Samaritan laws might apply. Uh, I'd like to talk about somewhere that up until very recently hasn't had any Good Samaritan laws, uh, and now it does. Maybe for the better, maybe not. Uh, let's talk about China and China's relatively new Good Samaritan laws. So, the reason that they were introduced, one of the primary in- uh, reasons that they were introduced was the case of Wang Yue, who was a two-year-old who was hit by two vehicles in Foshan, Guangdong province back in October 2011. You don't really want to go looking for this footage. I've seen it a long time ago, but if you were to go looking for it, essentially it's very grainy CCTV footage of this really small child being hit by a car and then being ignored by 18 passers-by who walked straight past the scene and did nothing to intervene before she was hit by a second vehicle. Uh, Eventually, a female rubbish collector took her to the hospital, but by that time it was far too late. The CCTV footage was circulated around the internet, and it it created something of a furore, not just outside of China. Uh, This should be... I I, want to make this really clear. There are many, many, many people within China who are incensed about I guess maybe like the culture of some of its citizens and their failure to act in certain ways or their their adherence to certain ideas or policies and that still has the power to bring about social change in China even though the government will crack down on it as much as possible this is one instance where they they did listen to Chinese netizens or Chinese citizens I guess So China's first Good Samaritan law was trialed in Shenzhen back in 2011 uh, with a full national law referred to as Clause 184 in Civil Law General Principles, which came into effect in October 2017. So this essentially protects you if you want to intervene at the scene of an accident. This is the implication there is that the reason that 18 people just walked past this toddler who had been mown down in the street was that they felt that it was perhaps some kind of ruse, like if they were to step in, that the parents would jump out and say, okay, well, you are the one who hit my kid with your car, or you injured my kid further, now you're going to give me some money, now you're going to give me thousands of RMB, which does happen. Another came, uh, case that I came across uh, while researching this from a few years back now, but this old woman who had fallen down the street, she was helped uh, out by a group of kids who were wandering past, grabbed one of the kids and said, started shouting, your kid injured me, your kid like pushed me over, and that there are two sides to that argument, but all the kids who were there said that no, that wasn't the case, they were just trying to help out, and there's maybe a reason behind some of these things, which we'll we'll go into a little bit later. But So, it's something that came into full effect back in 2017. Now, some critics argue that the law now goes too far in the other direction and provides no legal recourse for victims in the event of a good Samaritan acting in bad faith or with gross negligence. 
Some have argued that it does nothing to tackle the wide issue, uh, wider issue of insurance fraud. So this is the big issue here. There are tons and tons of videos that you can see online of one comes to mind of like a car kind of backing out and a woman throws herself at the front of the car as though she has like been hit by the car, even though the car is traveling in the opposite direction. Yeah. And repeatedly like stands up and throws herself back down as, as you can see like in the like driver's footage that he's like not stopped or got out of the car and so she's trying to like force him to get out yeah or force like other people to like see that she's been quote unquote hit by his car yeah if you if you fancy a fun research project you can just look up chinese scams chinese insurance scams or Chinese insurance fraud, and you'll find a lot of images of people uh, wandering out into traffic and then throwing themselves into the way of e-bikes and scooters to then say, well, look, you you hit me with your e-bike or you hit me with your scooter. This no. is, but without making it too political, for a, a quote-unquote socialist country where there is like less than 1% unemployment or whatever the, the most recent figure is, there is a very real economic disparity, and this is especially true around the period of Lunar New Year. So Lunar New Year, or Chinese New Year, is what I would classify as the biggest holiday yeah. um, in China or Taiwan. Um, and not, not to be reductive, uh, but you can kind of think of it like their version of Christmas. It is the, the uh, biggest event on the calendar. So it's usually about a week long, um, and there are big feasts. You have to visit all of your family. And the big thing, and where the insurance fraud comes in, is that people have to give monetary gifts, mm -hmm. usually to um, their parents and like to the children. Yeah, so imagine that you are... Uh, in your 30s and you've got an office job and your family happens to maybe you have a, a sibling and they have kids maybe you have elderly relatives maybe your parents aren't doing so good so there is this expectation that you are going to be very generous with your hongbao with your red packets which are these little red envelopes in which you give your money and the more hongbao you give, the better you look. It's the same thing in, in Christmas. It's why there are so many, such a big rise in thefts around Christmas time. Yeah, absolutely. It's because you want to be seen as being a generous person and you want to be, you know, big ball on campus. Yeah. At, in the West, that might manifest itself as a lot of break-ins post-Christmas where people are, are trying to make money off of that. Um, but in the case of places like mainland China... You see a lot of people putting themselves into these false accident situations and then trying to trying to get some money off the back end of it. So something like a Good Samaritan, and, and this kept kind of uh kind of going off at the back of my head when we were doing this research on, on Chinese Good Samaritan laws. This doesn't really do anything to protect from that, in my opinion. You know, it it's not going to it's there's nothing to stop insurance fraud in this certainly not it does i think it could protect a, a secondary person who comes in so say um a person is trying to uh help someone who is claiming like insurance fraud is like lying on the ground and moaning mm -hmm. and that 
second person comes in and is like, oh my god, are you okay? And is trying to, like, help them. And then they clamp onto the second person. And yeah. are like, well, you're liable now. Yeah. Um, it they, does help in that respect. Yeah, they can't then say, okay, well, you broke my leg. You pushed me over. You, you're the one who injured me. But again, there's nothing to stop somebody throwing themselves out in front of a car and saying, well, you hit me with your car. That I I think that's still going to happen in the future, unfortunately, until, I mean, we see the exact same thing in the West. Like I think you see it a lot in, like, it's the reason why there are so many Russian dash cam footages or, like, a Chinese dash cam. It's, we see so much more of it because people are implementing dash cams into their cars in order to stop it from happening. Mm-hmm. Not saying this doesn't happen in the West or it doesn't happen in other countries, but we see a much more of it because we have access to those dash cams. Yeah, it's just the way that people approach both their medical practices and the way that their their individual legal systems work. Uh, what I what I was gonna say was, it's I'm not trying to tell anyone how to live their lives, but you know, around about the holiday period, if you have a relative who's a little bit less well off and all they can afford is a card, or all they can afford to do is give you a homemade gift, don't be a dick about it, you know, just, there shouldn't be this expectation that everybody can afford to splash around the same amount of money as you, and hey, people go through peaks and troughs, what somebody was able to afford last year, maybe they won't be able to afford this year, and I think that's kind of a universal idea, right? It, It can be hard if you are meant to be the sole provider for your family, Especially so if your family extends to your parents and grandparents. There needs to be more of a support network outside of just, you know, your your children and grandchildren. Anyway, now that I'm well up on my high horse, uh, let's talk about some of the differences between Good Samaritan laws and a duty to act. Because these two things get mixed up all the time. Uh, there's a YouTube channel called Legal Eagle. If you haven't checked it out, I would highly recommend it because it's really interesting. It's uh, informative and also, um... Educational? Enta- entertaining. Yeah, it is, uh, edutainment at its mm. finest. Uh, basically the presenter who is a, a lawyer from the US will take examples from movies and TV shows and then break down what they're doing and talk about, most of the time, how... Uh, far removed from from real legal practices the the scenes are so in this case he uh he breaks down the f- season finale the show finale of Seinfeld did you ever watch Seinfeld when it was on no uh you know this and i think everybody else knows this by now i didn't have tv didn't watch tv shows i didn't watch Seinfeld while it was on this is, you're not being attacked <laughs> And this is not me saying, like, what's Ladies wrong with you? Why don't you love Jerry Seinfeld? Why don't you love okay. the comedy of Jerry Seinfeld? I, I have watched, like, certain episodes of sure. Seinfeld. Like, I know about, like, the Soup Nazi and, like, Kramer. That's a character. He, yes. The, the dance that the one lady does. Uh, Louis-Dreyfus. So I think you know more than I do, actually, because it was never big in the UK in the same way that something like, say, Friends was was big in the UK. But anyway, uh, a lot of people got very upset with the way that they ended the show, uh, because in the in the finale, the, the group, the gang, travel from New York uh, to some somewhere in the East Coast, this little town... 
and they get arrested and they get arrested because they see this guy being carjacked and because they're on holiday they're they've got their uh camera and they film it happening and because they're from new york the the joke here is that they're new yorkers laughing at someone else's misfortune because like why would a new yorker step in and help someone else new yorkers are assholes to each other and they're heard on the footage like making fun of the guy and so they get arrested the cop cites a recently enacted good samaritan law and he actually cites something which happened in real life he he says okay well the reason that we brought this law in was because of the death of princess di and how when her car crashed all these reporters were on hand taking pictures but none of them intervened and all of them had a duty to intervene mm. Uh, so we have enacted this Good Samaritan law. You saw that guy being carjacked. You even filmed it. And so we're we're going to put you in jail and you're going to have to stand trial. And uh, yeah, they... Spoilers for this, what, like 20-year-old season finale, I guess? But if you uh, if you haven't seen it already, they eventually... They have like a parade of witnesses from... Like character witnesses from... from previous episodes and they then talk about how they're all just such a bunch of assholes and things that they've done that are horrible in the past and they get sentenced to a year in prison together i guess jail it would be i think no no jail is jail is where you go before you before you've been convicted of something right maybe maybe and we're gonna rescind the whole uh we want to be lawyers thing yeah (laughs) feel free to at us about how uh big idiots we are when it comes to the law the point is that even if this law did exist what they're talking about isn't a good samaritan law it it would be a good samaritan law if they had tried to help the guy who was being carjacked and inadvertently injured him or he said that they had injured him what they're talking about is a duty to act or a duty to intervene which is a lot rarer than good samaritan laws in in the legal world so i think a duty to act generally falls upon people in the medical profession or in like uh police um basically if you are you if you are on duty you have a duty to act so if you are being paid then you have to intervene in situations Mm -hmm. at times the duty to act these duty to act laws will also say that you are legally obligated to intervene even if you are off duty. Mm-hmm. So for example, in a very personal example, uh, whenever my mother and I were driving somewhere and she saw like an accident on the roadside, she would always pull over. And it's not just because my mother is a lovely, wonderful person who likes mm-hmm. to help people, but it's also because uh, she would say that she could lose her nurse's license if she didn't act. Mm-hmm. That's not true in all places. It may not even be true anymore. But for some places that you live, if you are, for example, an RN, a registered nurse, you have to stop and render aid because that is your duty. You are a person. You may be the only person who can help in time. And the the EMS may not get there in time. Yeah. And so we're talking specifically about medical professionals who are off duty 
duty to act, duty to intervene, duty to care, however you want to term them, laws that extend to members of the general public who just happen to see an accident or happen to see someone in distress are even rarer still. I could only really come across a couple of examples. Um, so Germany have their, uh, it's uh, it's that time again where I put on my German accent, uh, their Unterlassen Hilfestung law. Hilfestung? I don't know. Uh, law whereby a citizen is obliged to provide first aid when necessary and is protected from legal prosecution provided that they acted in good faith. So there, there is an element of a good Samaritan law yeah, it's, there. It's like a combination of duty to act and yeah, good Samaritan. And, and legal protection for acting. Uh, also, Quebec lists a, quote, general duty to respond as part of their Charter of Human Rights and Freedoms. But I could find very few examples of, of case law where anyone's tried to prosecute someone for a failure to act on, on the part of a, a citizen. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think you will, because I think it's very hard, one, to prove that someone is there, unless you have, like, video showing, like, their car driving by. Mm -hmm. And two, you have to prove that they've seen the incident happen. Like, it could be that they haven't even seen something happen and are just, like you know, focused on the road or, or doing something else at the time. Right. And, and third, you have to argue that they, they had the knowledge to do that. Yeah. And fourth, you have to argue that what they witnessed was their perception of somebody in distress because one man's drowning is another man's going for an afternoon dip. One man's unconscious at the side of the road is another man's just having a nap at the side of the road. So, you know, why Why would you intervene unless you were 100% sure that that person was in distress? I think we also have to talk, and I, I will talk a little bit about it later, but like the fear aspect, the fear of not only getting involved, but say, for example, you are a police officer and there is an incident where uh, a man has a gun and you are not like a, a patrol officer. Maybe you're like, um, maybe you're a desk jockey but you still have, like, a duty to act in that case. Like, you're supposed to draw, like, a weapon, even though you're not supposed to have your service weapon on you. Which is, like, which would be terrible for me, because I'm shit at drawing, like, guns. They always come out looking really yeah, weird. really wonky. Weird like, angles, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I just write pew-pew on the end of them so people know what they are. Yeah, and you spelled it wrong, too. Um, so... There's, like, not just in that instance, there's a fear of people getting involved in dangerous situations. So are you saying that, for example, a drowning person can pull you under? That's a huge risk in taking, like, in saving someone who's drowning, which is why, like, being a lifeguard is so dangerous. Yeah, that's a that's a big no-no if you've had any kind of, like, lifeguard training is if you see someone drowning... You try and throw something to them. You don't just dive in because if they are panicking, they are more likely to try like pull you under. So I think we also have to be aware of the dangers of acting as a good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that too. Well, let's solemnly reflect on the dangers of acting as a good Samaritan while we take a break.
And welcome back. All right, so now that we've talked about the Good Samaritan Law and duty to act, I think it's important that we talk a little bit about the bystander effect. Bystander. Bystander. The bystander effect. (laughs) The effect of being a bystander when you're a bystander. So, if you saw someone in danger, a drowning kid, an elderly person fall, a car crash, would you help? Of course you would. You're a good person. Right? Yeah, you're listening to this podcast, therefore, you're a good person. However, the reality of the situation is that many of us refrain from helping, especially when we are aware that other people are present. Mm. So in the late 1960s, John M. Darley and Bib, <laughs> Bib Latane, uh, initiated an extensive research program into the so-called bystander effect. Which was hard for Bib Latane because up until that point, he was just a town mechanic and also the town drunk. Like, Bib is an excellent name. Don't it you sure is. <laughs> just uh, for a, a split second, though, what do you think Bib is short for? <laughs> Bibliography. <laughs> uh, Bibliotech. <laughs> Bilbo. It's like Bib- Biblo bag- Baglins. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to say Bibothy. <laughs> Bibbifi Latani, but Bib right. to his friends. <laughs> All right. In their seminal article, they found that any person who was the sole bystander helped, but only 62% of the participants intervened when they were part of a larger group of five bystanders. So basically what you're, they you're did... Still saying, you're still saying bystander. <laughs> Just fuck it. It's erotic D. <laughs> you're erotic D. <laughs> Yeah, right. Okay. So they what they did was they had uh, these participants in, I think, like a lab. And they had connected them, I think, by phone to uh, what they called was another participant. But what they really had was like a recording of someone. And this recording was somebody who was started having a seizure. Um, so it's like when um, a chatbot has and such, and they're like, Hey, sexy, are you looking to meet a hot girl tonight? I noticed your profile. And you're like, oh my god, it's finally happening. <laughs> Wait, why is she sending such weird responses? Why why are all her pictures of anime no, girls? No, because it's not a robot. It's a, it's a recording. There's a difference. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So they recorded this person pretending to have a seizure. And the participants thought it was happening in real time. So they were by themselves in, in a room. And... In some cases, they knew that they were the only person listening. In other cases, they knew that there were two other people, and in other cases, five other people. What they found was the likelihood that the participants left the room to seek help for the quote-unquote victim decreased from 85% when they were by themselves to 62% to 31% as the number of witnesses increased. Alright, so there seems to be like a pretty clear pattern there. There seems to be a pretty clear correlation. So there are thought to be three main reasons for this. One, the feeling of less responsibility when other people are present. This kind of like, who? Me? But there are all these other people here. Moi, but I couldn't possibly be the hero of this tale. I would need to... Get out of the way! (laughs) It's my time to shine! Um, this kind of idea of, like, why should I act? Like, mm-hmm. surely somebody else here is already doing something. They've already called the police, so they've already called somebody. 
The number two is the fear of unfavorable public judgment. If you step in between that arguing couple, will you look like an asshole who's just looking for attention? Mm-hmm. You know, will people think badly of you because you've kind of put yourself at center stage or because you just look like you don't know what you're doing? Got, got a little story for you in a hot second, but carry on. Uh, and third, if no one else is helping, then it couldn't possibly be an emergency. The person is hurt, but EMS is on the way, or it's not a bad injury. He's not really drowning. Otherwise, why would other people just be watching him? So, uh, the the couple thing. This happened, I think, maybe about a year ago, and you already know this story, but, but I guess our listeners at home don't. Um, so, us living in Taiwan plays a part of this, because... We we are foreigners here, and for anyone who's ever lived abroad or even been abroad on holiday, you know there is that feeling of what can I do, what can't I do, what's socially acceptable, what's unacceptable. And if you live in a a especially homogenous area, you're well, very visible. You're yes, that is true. Or if you live in a place where the culture is very different from your own, or if you don't speak the native language fluently, all of these things play a factor in that. That being said, uh, I was, I think, riding to one of my students' house one day on, on one of the little U-bikes. And, it's a share bicycle. Yeah, like a shared bike scheme. And I spotted this couple on the street, a young man and a young woman, and the guy had his motorbike parked at the side of the street. And I think what happened is maybe they'd been riding together and the woman had just decided to jump off. The guy kept grabbing the woman by the wrist, and she kept shouting and trying to get away from him. This is at like one o'clock in the afternoon on like a weekend afternoon, so the street's packed. There's and this is pre-COVID as well, so there are a lot of people out and about. And it was like right by like a mall as well, so there's like a ton of people. Yeah, it was, so it was actually closer to the MRT station, but the point still stands. Like, yeah, a lot of people going around, and I. What I did next will probably sound like I was ignoring the situation, but un unable to put myself in between them and say, is everything okay here? Are you okay, madam? Do you need assistance? Uh, I took my phone out and I started filming, but I made it clear to the guy that I was filming. And the guy tried to shoo me off a couple of times and he tried to, I think, tell me like, she's fine, she's fine, whatever. And I responded in Chinese, which is clearly not fine. She doesn't want this. Are you okay? And I I think I sat and filmed for like maybe a minute, maybe two, maybe three. All these people were walking past. And then I started asking other people, can you see this? Like, are... And then I specifically asked one young woman who was walking past, like, can you help me uh, in Chinese? And she that's when she intervened. And that's when the situation kind of dispersed. The young woman who had been... I'm not going to say accosted, but was being, uh, I don't know how you want to term this. Like he, she, she was being, uh, unduly bothered by presumably her partner walked away from the situation. The guy, I think said words to the effect of like, Oh, are you fucking happy? Like, look, look what you've done kind of thing. And then he walked off. Uh, but that situation wouldn't have been resolved if I hadn't got someone else to intervene. The guy was just going to carry on doing what he was doing. And that is the bystander effect in action. All these people seeing what's going on, but everybody... I think the prevailing attitude, especially when it's like a couple on the street, is like, 
oh, they're a couple of arseholes, look at them, like, you know, arguing in public, whatever, not my problem. So, I think, like, for, on the one hand, it's really hard for anybody if there is, like, a couple arguing. Um, I think it's even harder for, it's hard for a man, because, like, a man can escalate the situation. Yeah, which I was not looking to, I was not looking to fight anyone, that's not what I was trying to do. Yeah, like, you, you could feel like, Will's a big guy. He's, you're what, 6'2"? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, like, just looking at him could be threatening. And if you're a woman, I am 5'2", and so I could be afraid of getting hurt But in you're that scrappy. That's the, that's the main thing. I am scrappy. You're a scrappy 5'2". <laughs> so, I think it's important that when we see these kind of scenarios, that we are aware that, like, people who are potential witnesses... One, could not understand what's happening. Two, could be afraid of intervening because they don't want to get hurt. Like, who knows that this guy is crazy? Like, he's already pulling on his girlfriend. You know, what could he do to me? He, uh, he, he when I say he was on his mo- motorbike, like, he was wearing biker leathers and stuff like that. He didn't look like a hell's angel or anything like that, but he, um, looked like a bit of a rough character, shall we say. Was it a motorcycle or was it a yeah. moped? Yeah, yeah, no, it was a motorcycle. Yeah. Okay, so, but the other issue, and an issue that I find a lot, is that I want to help someone, but I cannot speak the language. And therefore, the only thing I can say is, like, Isha, okay, ma? Like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I can't respond if they say, no, I'm not okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I can't do anything. I they're can't like, even call, like, emergency services and be like, this is what's happening. They try to tell you, like, oh, my God, thank you for helping. I've just had a seizure. The medication's in my purse. If you could just reach in, it's right next to my phone. And you're like, okay. <laughs> okay, then. Bye-bye. Okay. She's fine. She's okay. I had uh, a situation similar to this in China when I was riding uh, an e-bike, which is, like, kind of like a moped, an electric moped. And it's... As I was riding, the guy in front of me uh, hit a pole, and it was kind of like almost cartoonish. Like his his arms and legs went straight out in front of him, and he kind of and then he like slid down the pole. Mm-hmm. And I immediately stopped and pulled over. The guy has like a head wound, and like if if you're hit in the head, like any time, like you break the skin, it's just gonna gush blood. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm I'm walking up to him like, are you OK? But of course, he can't speak English. And my Chinese is really, really terrible. And so then I'm just standing there watching all these other people drive past us. I have no idea how to help in the situation until like I turn around and I see someone driving straight at us. And I basically just like hold out my arms so they can't get around me. And I'm like, help help me now so i i think that's something we're about to touch on as well is maybe like ways to yeah we'll get to that in the end so let's let's talk about some examples of the bystander effect so the one that really kind of started the whole idea of of this was the case of catherine kitty jeno i want to say genovese okay So, this is from an article in Healthline. This is a direct quote from them. A little after 3 a.m. on March 13, 1964, Catherine Kitty uh, Genovese parked her car and walked to her apartment in Queens, New York, after finishing her shift as a bar manager. 
Serial killer Winston Mosley was out to victimize someone that night. Genevieve became his target. When he followed her, she ran. As Mosley reached her and began stabbing her with a hunting knife, Genevieve screamed, Oh my god, he stabbed me! Help me! Help me! When lights and surrounding apartments flipped on and one man called out his window, the attacker ran and hid in the shadows. But no one came out to help. So Mosley returned and finished stabbing, then robbed and raped Genevieve. She continued to cry for help. The attack lasted about 30 minutes. As many as 38 people may have witnessed Genevieve's murder. Not one stepped outside to help her. Witnesses to Kitty Genevieve's murder gave excuses such as, I didn't want to get involved, and I thought it was just a lover's quarrel. Because we know, like, how often you and I will be trying to decide, like, what restaurant to order from. And, and then I just like, scream, he stabbed me! He stabbed me! <laughs> I was going to say, and then you stab me, and I'm like, okay, Jesus, let's just get pizza. Oh, I'm bleeding. He's like, do you want pepperoni? He's like, help! I think it is important to note that a lot of these people weren't, like, looking out their window. So they didn't see what was happening. They heard screaming, and... One of the things you learn as a woman, I'm sure as many people know, uh, that you don't scream, I'm being raped, you scream fire, 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 to get people to run out of their house. Because people get really excited by fire and they're like, ooh, gotta see this. I mean, it's true, you see like a, a fire engine pull up and you're like, well, what's happening over here, eh? Fire engine, rad! <laughs> um, but I, I hope they don't drown. I remember being told that when I was about 10 years old. That, like, in the case of somebody attacking you, don't scream help, don't scream rape, don't scream, like, I'm being stabbed, scream fire. How fucked up is that? I mean, it's good advice. I think your mom is kind of a fan of real talk. I think uh, she... she. I don't think it was my mom who told me that, but yes, my mother is a fan of real talk. <laughs> I don't think you were raised in a bubble, is what, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that advice still still stands to this day for this reason. I find it hard to believe that anyone genuinely thought this was a lover's quarrel, but I... To be fair, like, it's a terrifying scenario. What are you supposed to do? Like, go out there and, like, this guy's got a knife. He's clearly stabbing a woman to death. What are you supposed to do? I don't know if somebody called the police. It's the 60s. They have access to phones. Like, come on, somebody should have done something. But... What could have happened is yelling out the window, hey, I see you, I'm watching you, I've called the police. That possibly could have saved her life. Yeah, I I think you could go back and forth with, with this case. Apparently initial reports made it sound like, uh, you know, over 30 people watched this woman being murdered. They They actually saw it and they did nothing, whereas later reports stated that, okay, well, most people just heard what was going on and didn't act or just assumed that other people would step in, I think. Uh, but yeah. the point is, that's a lot of people who did nothing. I think there are cases um, in places like India where women have been gang raped in public spaces and nothing has been done. And I'm not saying like, oh, God, India, like, you know, they hate their women there. But more like this happens everywhere. You know, people are so reluctant to get involved because of perceived danger to themselves or because they don't know how to stop a situation. Um, or, in some cases, because you're in a hurry. There is a study done 
by, I think, like a theological department to see how, like, if you are religious, how likely you are to stop and help someone. And in these cases, like, all of these were students of the theology department. They found, by the way, that religion has no impact on whether you are going to stop and help someone. Mm-hmm. But they had asked, like, part of, like, some of these students to give a talk about a good Samaritan and then go to another building. And then they had, like, a confederate who's, like, lying on the ground, like, moaning and, like, coughing. When you say a confederate, you don't mean, like, somebody... A confederate soldier is what I mean. Yeah, somebody... <laughs> This took place at the Battle of Gettysburg, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, they had, like, a, an actor, right, on the ground, like, moaning and, like, like asking for help. And... Uh, the South will rise again. Okay, uh, I'm gonna let you die. States' rights. <laughs> um, and they found that, like, if the people were told, like, for example, you have to hurry to the talk, like, you're going to be late, they were more likely to in some cases, step over the person to get to their talk about being a good Samaritan. (laughs) Help me! Sorry, excuse me, coming through. I've got to tell everyone how to be a great person. All right, have a great day. Um, Yeah, I I think it's really interesting. Um, There are other studies as well. In an experiment done in 1985, 20 undergraduates participated in a simulated group discussion Via headphones. You know that it's like old school. They're like, via headphones. Not like, wow. <laughs> this new technology. And then later they're going to surf the internet. <laughs> One member of the group apparently had a choking fit and called for help. So this study was done in order to see if high levels of masculinity would stop you from helping someone. Mm-hmm. So they said highly masculine students were less likely to take action to help the victim than other students. Bro, what's even wrong with you, bro? Don't you lift for your throat? Femininity and actual gender had no effect on the likelihood of helping. Results are interpreted according to past research evidence that highly masculine students fear potential embarrassment and loss of poise, so they may be reluctant to intervene in emergencies. So this study basically had, like, a mixed group of people. They wanted, like, highly feminine people, highly masculine people, and they wanted to see if femininity made you more likely to step in, if masculinity made you less likely to step in, and they found that femininity had no hold on whether people would help, but masculinity did. They just showed them a poster of Chris Evans during his, like, Captain America training, and they were like, what do you, how do you feel about this man? This guy is highly masculine, but also really into Chris Evans. (laughs) Get him in the control group. Let's do it. Okay. Um, So how can we stop the bystander effect? Bystander. You can start by (laughs) naming it right, Alicia. Oh, God. How can we stop the bystander effect? Very good. Thank you. I deserve that. (laughs) (laughs) So... The real thing to stop this is to single somebody out. Make them aware that other people are watching. Mm -hmm. So a study done in 2012 created personas in a chat room which asked people for help. One from a user who was supposedly suffering from a breakup. Another from a user who was feeling suicidal. And several other scenarios. Basically, the researchers wanted these people to... these. They're fictional people, right? They're reaching out for help on the chat room, and they wanted to see 
who would respond and how many people would respond. When the fictional users asked for help, very few people responded. So the researchers added an accountability cue. They highlighted participants' names in red. So basically they would like choose like a person and kind of like at them, like put them in red and be like, I'm feeling suicidal at yellow testicles. Can you help me? So, uh, where, where did that name come from? I have no idea. <laughs> yellow testicles. I'd love to help, but I'm trying to deal with my testicles. <laughs> they shouldn't be this color. Um, they found uh, that the bystander effect can be reversed by means of cues that raise public self-awareness and social settings. Basically, by making someone aware that others are watching them forces them into action. So the next time you need help, call out a person specifically. You in the red and blue shirt, help me. You in the red and blue shirt. I love it. Where did you get that? What is that? Top man? All right, enough of this. Excellent. Help this guy. <laughs> <laughs> My legs broke, but then you get to tell me where you got that fantastic shirt. And this is like something that you're taught if you ever take like a CPR class or... Um, like any kind of emergency medical training is the first thing you need to do besides like checking the patient is to lean up, point at someone, look at them directly and say, you call 911, as opposed to somebody call 911. If you say that, nobody is going to call. Whereas if you single someone out, suddenly the whole group's looking at them and they feel like one, they feel important, but two, like, oh, if I don't do this, then everybody will know that I didn't do this. You can have some really cool Hollywood dialogue with them as well and be like, what's your name? Betty. Okay, Betty. Do you know how to set a tourniquet? Uh, no. Like, okay, it doesn't matter because actually, um, wow. I've spilled my coffee. So cool. I don't need a tourniquet. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the point, Betty. Get me a new fucking coffee. I kind of... I'm not your secretary, though. <laughs> yes, but I said your name, and I'm singling you out. Right, I guess I'm publicly shamed now. <laughs> yeah, that's the bystander effect. You get out of here. Um, but yeah, that's coming back to my story from earlier, that that I kind of had that at the back of my mind. I can't remember where I'd heard this before, but that's what I was trying to do when I was videotaping that guy, be like, telling him in Chinese, like, we we can all see you. We can all see what's going on even though other people were watching and didn't care. Um, But like, yeah, we could all see you. And then it was only when I singled out that one woman to be like, please help me, that she stepped in to do it. And and there's also this idea of like giving people specific roles, right? So like Mm -hmm. if you're at the scene of an accident, be like, okay, you, Mr. Blue Shoes, like call an ambulance, you, weird face. I suede? Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry, but your face is kind of weird. That's how, that's what we're calling you now. Can you like put them in the recovery position? You. Tits, Tits McGee. I'm sorry, I'm a misogynist, but I'm the only trained medical professional here. Uh, you know, get, keep them warm. Looking great. Yeah, misogynists can be helpful too. Okay, uh, I don't want to make it like the Will and Alicia are great people show, but we did have... We're really not. <laughs> no, don't, I know, we're Don't terrible. walk away thinking that. Um, we did have a situation a while ago where we were on the train to Taipei, and there was a couple who were having an argument and not loud, but it, it, again, it was like a thing where he was grabbing her wrist and he, she... He kept doing this weird thing where she would, she kept looking down at her shoes to like not make eye contact with him. And he kept like flicking her chin or like flicking, flicking her nose and stuff to yeah. get just real... 
it was, like it, it it made me very uncomfortable to watch and we were seated um everybody you could tell everybody on the train was really uncomfortable mm-hmm. like they weren't doing anything these people were also foreigners um like southeast asian yeah okay so like do do we need to clarify that? I mean, there's uh, a sizable migrant worker population in Taiwan as well, and and many of them come from places like the Philippines or Malaysia or Indonesia. Um, so they were fellow fellow foreigners, if you will. Yeah. So you know, we're foreigners. They're foreigners. Um, we we're sitting there, and I'm I'm only mentioning that they're foreigners because like I can't communicate with her. Like there's there's nothing that I can. Mm-hmm. At least I think that I can't communicate with you her. You don't know if you walk up and start speaking English or Chinese that you're going to be readily understood. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there for so long and I'm just telling myself, like, you can do it. You can stand up. You can say something. You can end this. And, like, there's so many, like, scenarios that play out in your head where you're kind of like, well, I'll just get up there and I'll just push him out of the way and, you know, it, and whatever. It's not an everyday thing. That's the other problem is that you don't know how this is going to go down. Yeah, so what I ended up doing was I stood up very slowly, and I think it helps that I'm, like, a small woman and I don't look like a threat. Basically, I walked up and I kind of put my arm in between them, and I blocked him with my back, and I gestured to the seat and said, do you want to sit down? And and kind of led her to the seat, and then I stood and, like, sat with, like, my... I stood across the aisle and blocked him out of the aisle. And the whole time, like, I didn't look him in the eyes. I didn't, like... Because I, I was scared that he was going to do something to me. And that was the main reason why I didn't do anything to begin with. I was I was scared he was going to start yelling at me, that I would look like an idiot, that she didn't want to sit down. Like, I had no idea what was going on, what they were saying. That's the other thing as well, is that in... Let, let's call it what it is. Like, this is a form of domestic abuse. Is is what, you, what you're witnessing. You're, what you're seeing is, like, a highly... Uh, highly unhealthy power dynamic at play and so uh, something that's clearly ingrained to an extent where well this this guy doesn't mind doing this in public he doesn't mind that other people can watch and and that's ballsy isn't the word but you know it's not great and so in that scenario you're relying on the the person who's on the lower end of that power dynamic being willing to walk away and being willing to accept help and willing to do something so there's every chance that you go over and you're like can I help you and she's like no I'm okay yeah which is what I thought was gonna happen which is why I didn't ask if she was okay I walked up and said do you want to sit down like here's the seat I've, I've basically like there were no other seats so I vacated my seat for you sit down and she did, but then later, like, I asked her if she wanted to walk up with us, basically. Like, you know, we'll walk you out of the train station. And she said no, and she went back with him. And for a week, I was just, like, sick to my stomach. And I think it's important to note that, like, even if you do act in a situation, you can still feel horrible. Like, the entire time we were supposed to have, like, this great day in Taipei, I was just like, I should have done more. I should have, I should have tried to, to get her out of the situation. I should, I should have asked her, like, if she needed help. I should have, like, gone to somebody. And, and the reality of it is, like, 
you know, you can only help someone who's willing to get help. Yeah, it's not about, okay, well, you did something, just, you know, feel better about yourself. Like, you, you did something, and that's the end of it. That's all you need to do. It's about, you can only help somebody to a certain extent. Uh, what what can you do? Like, shadow that person for the rest of the day, for the rest of the week? Because at some point, especially if it is something domestic that you're seeing, that person has to then interact with that other party again at some point. And so, you know, how how present can you be for for so long? But yeah, I mean, you you did beat yourself up over that for, for a while. Even though, I think you said there was a lady who came up to you afterwards and she... There was like an older Taiwanese woman while we were on the escalator leaving uh, the train station who like walked past me and like patted me on the shoulder and was like, you did a good job, like well done. At the time, like I felt like really good about that. But then looking back on it, I was like, well, if you saw something happening, why am I the only one who's stepping in? I think for me... I'm a big believer in the fact that somebody somebody can be inherently selfish or self-interested and still do good things. For me, one of the reasons why you intervene and you help someone else is because if you don't, you have to you have to live with it afterwards. And maybe that's something that, you know, is in the back of your mind for the rest of the day or for the rest of the week, or maybe it's in the back of your mind for the rest of your life. But yeah, if you you by all means can walk away and not do anything. It doesn't inherently make you a bad person because I guess the whole point of what we're saying here is that we all do this kind of thing on on an everyday basis. And it takes so much effort to not do that. It takes so much effort. I, I sat there for like 10 or 15 minutes. I was literally next to them. I was the closest person to them. And I sat there and did nothing for 15 minutes until mm-hmm. I finally was like, okay, if you were watching this scenario, you would be like, why Why haven't you done anything? But again, coming back to the bystander effect, this was in the middle of a day on a crowded MRT. And how would the situation have been different if it was you and that one couple on on the MRT? Honestly, or you and like there were a couple of other people in the carriage, but but very few. See, I think... I think for me, what helped is the fact that there were other people watching, so I would be less likely to be, like, attacked. Sure. But... Unlikely if, scenario, but, you know, it's still yeah, going through your mind. Sure. Like, I, <laughs> I'm a small woman, it's going through my mind all the time. <laughs> but it does make me less likely because nobody else is acting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so... Should we uh should we kind of wrap up our our talk on the Good Samaritan laws and the bystander effect? Yeah, so I wanted to make a, a quick note about being a Good Samaritan. Intention matters. Be aware of your surroundings, ask for consent when you can, and when specifically talking about CPR, like I said before, my mom, who's been an ER nurse for 30 years, said, remember, they're already dead. Like, you might bring them back to life, but they're already dead. Anything you can do is a bonus. She's just being deeply philosophical about that. Mm-hmm. She's like, essentially, I mean, we're all dead, right? Like, yeah, I mean, anything you're doing on top of that is helpful. And I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong in the guidelines here, but you're looking for the beat of the Bee Gees classic, uh, Staying Alive. Mm, it's, uh, it's in there. So- <laughs> <laughs> the CDC recommends that, by the way. Yeah, I mean, they're just big. 
big BGO files. Um, yeah, so we are not medical professionals, but a few tips courtesy of the CDC. Number one, call emergency services or single out someone to call, point and call them by name if possible, and look for an AED, which is one of those electronic defibrillators. Those shock the heart and cause it to start beating again. And you'll see more and more of them in public spaces nowadays, uh, especially, I guess, places like train stations, bus stations, etc., uh, shopping centers. Push hard and fast in the center of the chest at the rate of 100 to 120 pushes per minute. Recommended to move to the beat of the song Staying Alive. Uh, and let the chest rise fully after each push. Do not breathe into their mouth, hands only. Continue until services arrive or a professional can relieve you. It's just uh, it's good advice in general when interacting with strangers. Don't breathe into the mouth. Yeah, no mouth, no mouthy, <laughs> only handsy. Okay, so again, we are not medical professionals. If you truly want to know how to take CPR, uh, please take a course. Um, I think yeah. it's just good information to know. Um, look it up on your own. There are lots of like medical videos on how to perform CPR. Do not take this as like your only guideline. Don't stand in court and be like, well, this podcast I listened to told me how to yeah. perform CPR. So I, I, th- I think we're, I think we're covered. I think we're covered. <laughs> I think we've covered all the, the legal nuts and bolts. Uh, should we do some weird facts? Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so I didn't have any weird facts specific to Good Samaritan laws or bystander effect, but um, I will give you some weird laws. Mm. Uh, I found a list of 10 weird laws from around the world. I'm going to I'm going to read some of those to you just now. So uh, it's uh, Parliament passed an act in 1986 that states that it's illegal to hold salmon under suspicious circumstances. <laughs> Uh, I'm assuming for like poaching salmon or something. Yeah, so it's a defense in England and Wales for any person who receives or disposes of any salmon in circumstances where they believe or could reasonably believe that the salmon was illegally fished. Mm. Uh, the maximum penalty is two years in imprisonment. Uh, if you own chickens in Quitman, Georgia, it's illegal to let them cross the road. Can't play out that joke. Yeah. Uh, so the way the law is phrased, I guess, is to make it more memorable. But the the essence of the law is that you shouldn't have chicken uh, chickens essentially out in the wild outside like your leaving property. your property. Yeah. Don't don't do that. Uh, and one more, I'm going to give you. Uh, Milan in Italy states that it is a legal requirement to smile at all times, except at funerals or hospitals. So. It's uh, it's prescribed by a city regu- regulation from Austro-Hungarian times that was never repealed. So exemptions include funeral goers, hospital workers, or those at the bedside of an ill family member. Uh, for everybody else, there is no excuse for being glum. The alternative being a fine. So if you if you're ever on holiday in Milan and your server big smiles, big you know, smiles, you've just ordered an espresso. And uh, your server brings it over to them, and you've—they've been kind of like shitty with you all the time while you're having your meal. Just be like, "Hey, buddy, you looking to go to jail today? All right, because I know my legal rights, sir." You'd be prettier if you smiled. Oh god, yeah, don't, don't, <laughs> don't say it like that. Actually, you know what? Be nice to servers in general because they—they work pretty shitty jobs for pretty shitty money. Okay, well, actually, on the topic of smiling, my weird fact is that you are more likely to be helped if you are smiling. 
Sorry, I'm just imagining somebody like nursing a gunshot wound and <laughs> yeah. being like, hey, buddy, haha, <laughs> I got a little whoopsie here. Could you phone an ambulance? Thank you. So I was going to add this into the main show, but I couldn't find my source again. I had found this article, like a, a scholarly article about. When you say scholarly article, you make it sound uh, because, more, more legit. Because I, it was from like a journal of like psychology. Um, so I had found this article that said how to stop the bystander effect, basically like the effect of smiling on the bystander effect. And it was stating that if you smile, I think it's not like in like cases where you are, I don't know, in physical physical emergency like you've been shot or something like that okay say for example your car broke down or like you need someone to like hand you their cell phone so you can call somebody they are more likely to stop to help you if you're smiling probably not like a manic smile (laughs) sure i mean i'm just imagining somebody who's broken their leg and they're just like you know hobbling along the side of the road and they're giving me like a really big grin and i'm like (laughs) <laughs> this this is a trap. You you're gonna stab me and take my money. So if you can find the article, please uh please send it to me because I would like to read the full article. Your car would run better if you smiled. <laughs> uh, all right, wonderful. Well, that's it for our show today. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you like the show, please give us a like, give us a follow, and leave us a review. This has been Enter the Rabbit Hole, as always, reminding you to... Help when you can. Yeah, help others. Just be a nice person. All right, guys, take care for now. Bye-bye. Ciao. Enter the Rabbit Hole is written and presented by William Grant and Alicia Palmer. The music was created by Glenn Marshall. More information and sources can be found in the episode description. You can email us at etrhthepod at gmail or follow us on Instagram at etrhthepod. Thanks for listening.